Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome, everybody, to Fantasy Football Today, DFS. It is an honor to be kicking off the season finally. Our off-season series is pretty much over, almost over. We got Mike McClure back because this is a really important shoe. We've alluded to certain keys to NFL DFS over the last few off-season series episodes, but now we bring in the big gun. We bring in Mike McClure to talk five keys to NFL DFS Mike, it's really good to have you back. We're six days away from kickoff. It's your team, Kansas City versus Detroit. And then we're on the heels of, obviously, the main slate. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great, Sia. Great to be back with you doing this. Uh, a lot of fun stuff we're going to talk about today and throughout the course of the season. But, uh, yeah, I'm really fired up. I love that we start with showdown slates because I really love playing showdown slates. I think that you can learn a lot from showdown slates that you can apply to the main slate. I think a lot of people kind of dismiss some of those uh, just because it's a different format uh, and it feels more like luck. Uh, but I think the variance there in general can teach you a lot. So excited to break down some of those differences and how it translates. Yeah. And speaking of showdown slates, so I'll tell you, everybody, you know, we used to be Tuesday, Thursday with with this show and Thursday we would break down the main slate. Well, the only problem with Thursdays, we didn't have like a full grasp on ownership. We certainly had an idea, but we're actually going to do the game-by-game -game breakdown, our, our DFS main slate show. It's actually going to be on Fridays at 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, as opposed to Thursday, early afternoon, late afternoon, which is what we've been doing the last couple of years. So mark that on your calendar. We'll keep reminding you, of course. But Fridays, 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, that's when we're going to be doing our game-by-game -game breakdown, with one exception. Because the NFL season kicks off with Mike McClure's Chiefs, on Thursday night, it's going to be showdown against Detroit, of course. We're actually going to do our game-by-game -game breakdown Thursday uh, morning-ish, early afternoon. We'll get back to you on the time, but that's going to be the one exception because we really wanted to kick off the season on the opening night of the season. So Thursday, we're going to come at you with our game-by-game -game breakdown for week one, but every week after, it's going to be Friday, 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. All right, Mike, that's enough of that. So here's the thing. When we talked about, you know, before the show, like keys to NFL DFS, my first thought was contest selection, because I think a lot of people, they think they're doing so poorly when it comes to NFL DFS or DFS in general, I should say, because they're not cashing. And sometimes they're not cashing. Maybe they might have an OK lineup, but they're just in the wrong contests. And, you know, we alluded to this. If you if you watched um, our last episode with James, otherwise known as Degenerate 75, he talked about this and he talked about you, you got to like, what are your expectations? Like, are, are you expecting to kind of lose your money in a lottery contest or are you trying to actually make money, you know, week to week or at least month to month? So, Mike, let me ask you sort of this broad question from a contest selection standpoint. I'm not asking you because you're different. You're more you're more of an advanced like pro player. But for those that are relatively new to NFL DFS, what are the types of contests you'd recommend? 
I would recommend still playing in large tournaments that give you enough upside because uh, first and foremost, this has to still be fun for you. Uh, if it's not fun for you, you're not going to have a lot of success ultimately. Uh, but I would still focus on the lower buy-ins as low as you possibly can, frankly, maxing out the three max, the single entry, the five max, and even the 20 max. Uh, and don't be afraid. You don't need 20 lineups in those if you don't want to. If you only want to play, say, three or five lineups, in that 20 max contest, because it's softer and because it's limited, you can definitely enter the same lineup five times or four times if you need to. Uh, so think about things like that, but definitely I think you need to have a mix of some of the cash games. And what I mean by cash game, a 50-50 double up type of contest, but that should not be all you're playing. The reason for that is on the weeks that you are right, you need to get paid for it, right? So you need to be playing tournaments despite how large the fields are and how intimidating they might be. The focus for most players initially should be maxing out the low dollar contests before jumping to something like the $20 millionaire maker. So from a percentage standpoint, I've heard a lot of people when it comes to cash games specifically, and, and I think cash games in NFL, I, I think it is more appropriate in NFL DFS than it might be for like PGA DFS because there's a lot more predictive stuff that you can kind of lean on with respect to volume and things of that nature. If I'm a newer player, Mike, and I'm investing, let's say $100 in the in the week one slate and in every slate thereafter, do you have a certain percentage of dollars that you think I should be in sort of that double up range? Per, you know, if we talk, that's how funny DFS has evolved really over the last few years. Uh, early season, I think that it's okay to have that number as high as 60 to 70%. Uh, later in the season, that number drops down to probably 15 to 20% personally for me, maybe 30 to 40% for some of the others. Uh, but earlier in the season, there's more people playing. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of new money in the ecosystem. Those games become a little softer. As the season progresses, as we get more data, things get a lot harder. Some of the more casual players lose their money. They stop playing, right? So I would focus on those early as it is a nice way to really kind of build that bankroll and ensure that you've got enough funds to, frankly, play throughout the season. Uh, but it's something that definitely tapers off for me personally uh, going as we get a little deeper into the season. Uh, but week one, I think that uh, around that 60 to 70% range is probably – uh, okay, I think you just need to leave enough of your bankroll for that given week to really try to capture some of that upside. Yeah, capture some of that upside with tournaments. And it's funny because I remember this distinctly from the last couple of years, Mike. We uh, we always kind of go over our cash games and we go over our, our tournament lineups uh, for like the recap episode, which for the record, everybody, that's going to be on Tuesdays. Uh, and that's usually me just kind of going over lineups and, and doing an early look at DFS price, pricing for the following week. But I remember distinctly, once we get to like week 10, week 11, Mike, you talk about, hey, you're, you're not playing as many cash games. And that's because of exactly what you said in, in terms of, listen, take advantage of the new money that's going to be in there. The excitement that NFL DFS draws, you're going to get a lot of, I don't mean to say this disrespectfully, but just a lot of casual DFS players that, that's going to make those cash games a lot softer. It certainly makes the tournament softer too, but you want to maximize your return. And, and you can certainly do that um, when it comes to uh, the cash games there. The last thing I'm going to ask you about contest selection from a payout standpoint, like for those of you that don't know, there's a lot of different ways you can see like payout details. The way I do it, sort of the long way to do it uh, is, um, you know, you just click on those three buttons and you literally click on payout details and you can see the number of people that are being paid out and you can see the percentage. You can also see what the minimum payout is. Mike, do you have any hard and fast rules when it comes to stuff like that? 
You know, some of it, you're almost always at the mercy of whatever the contest is in the lobby for your designated buy-in. Uh, but if you're someone that's starting out and you can find those contests, I generally prefer something that is a little more flat. Like I, I'm not looking to play something that's 40 to 50% of the prize pool to first. Um, while that's great if you win it, it it's very unrealistic. Uh, so I'm looking more for a flatter payout, looking maybe 20 to 25% to first place, and then cashing in at least 20% uh, would be the minimum cash. So if you finish in that top 20%, you're going to get paid on that. That is typically what I'm looking for there. And generally, those contests also just happen to be the ones that are the most friendly in terms of single entry, three max entry, five max entry. Uh, it's a really, really, really good way to level the playing field. Yeah, I totally agree. So some of the problems with some of these huge contests, if you actually look at the payout details, like the ones that are like they pay a million dollars to first place or uh, 200,000 or whatever the case may be, if you actually look at the percentage of money that's going to first place or like even like the top two or three, but generally first place, some of those contests, it's just the expected value on those contests, it's just really bad because there's so much going to first place. So you want to find the contest where you're getting some of that to first place, a big chunk, but but you know the top 10 is paying well as well. I think a, a nice rule that a lot of people like to use is try to make sure 10th place is at least 10% of first place. And just make sure that like, you know, when it comes to minimum payouts, try to get, you know, double your money, things of that nature. But if you're in a contest, especially a contest that you're not maxing out where first place gets like 40% of the money, there's a good chance you're in the wrong contest there. All right, so let's get to the second key, Mike. Um, but before we do that, let's hear a message from our partners. Mike, before we get to the second key, we had a nice question from Zach Phelps. Zach, thank you for supporting the show. I see you in here quite a bit. And by the way, everybody who's in here, please hit the like button for me and for Mike. Um, he says, if it's a multi-entry contest, should your lineups be the same, similar, or different? Multi-entry contest. Uh, Mike, what's the answer there? It, there's a lot of different answers. I think the best answer ultimately, though, is every lineup should be a unique lineup. It should be different. Um, it doesn't mean that it has to have five different players. It can literally be a one versus one at one position, uh, 2v2. Typically, I would refer to that as having two unique players. Uh, that is generally where I'm at is a minimum of two uniques, depending on the size of the slate. But the reason for this is, and that's the reason why I was saying I would love to see everyone max out the 20 max contests at whatever buy-ins that they can afford. You can use your lineup pool and your player pool. Like when you, we get into the season, you'll see how narrow my player pool is a lot of the weeks. You can still build 20 lineups from that very, very easily. And what you're doing there is you're still building basically the same lineup that you would if you were just entering once. You're just giving yourself an opportunity to let the variance fall in your favor. Your core is very similar. The lineups on average will have a very similar result, but you're exposing yourself to more upside by having those one or two little swaps by further expanding your player pool. But you don't want to get in there and just stack every single team and do things like that unless you are playing a 150 max, unless you really have the bankroll to support behavior like that. Uh, but personally, I'm a big believer in like, there's a 25 cent contest, a dollar contest, all these at the 20 max level. I would much rather see someone build 20 unique lineups that are correlated and put them in that $20 contest than buy one $20 entry. I think you're going to have far more success with 20 unique lineups that are built with correlation. Yeah, that's actually a really good segue, Mike, to our second key where, you know, you have this as correlation is greater than projection. Um, you might have just spoken to this a second ago, but, but tell us what you mean by that. 
Yeah, and you know, this is a relatively new thing for the masses here. It used to be that projection is really what mattered. You could go in, look at projections around the industry, wherever you find your daily fantasy projections, and you could put together a lineup that was going to be competitive. The issue with that now is if you're watching the show, there's a good chance you have access to projections in some way, shape, or form, right? A lot of the field has access to pretty decent projections that are average, median-type projections. So when we talk about this right here, what's the difference between a wide receiver projected at 19.2 points and 18.1 points? One fantasy point, right? In a medium projection. But if I have that wide receivers quarterback in my lineup because I like them in a certain spot, or I'm playing someone else that rates well on the other team in a position that's correlated, whether it be a running back on the other side, things like that, making decisions that are correlated become far more important than the projections themselves. So think through some of those correlations. We'll highlight them every week. I, I plan to bring some of my favorite correlations each week. Um, you know, we'll talk about the basic, like massive negative correlation, right? You don't want the defense against your quarterback. Pretty clear, right? But it, it happens. Uh, some of the other correlations that are a little less obvious, a tough defensive matchup on a star wide receiver, whether it's being shadowed by a specific cornerback, the wide receiver two and or tight end likely have a higher correlation with their quarterback that week. Um, so thinking through those things, building lineups that are highly correlated to me is a lot more important than maximizing a fantasy point on a projection. Absolutely. And, and one thing you have on here as well is start time stacking. Uh, where you're referring to weather and injury angles. Talk to us about that. Yes. Uh, so as we get into the season, probably after week one, it's the unfortunate reality of the NFL. There are injuries every single week. And when we have players that are questionable, you can get into game stacking and then start time stacking. So what I mean by start time stacking is we might have some weather issues, right? Uh, we may want to avoid certain games because of weather issues. We may want to backload our lineups with players from the 3 or 4 p.m. slate, which gives you a ton of flexibility uh, to make changes throughout your lineup. Uh, but a lot of it is going to be based on that. There, there's the weather. There's injury. We're going to have situations where you have questionable players in afternoon games where we're not getting their official status until after the slate is locked. So if you think there's a spot where someone is highly questionable. And then the other thing, say you look at Vegas totals, which we will talk about a lot as we go through game by game previews. If we see a certain game, like we know the 1 p.m. slate is loaded with two of the three best games on the slate, right? If you know that the majority of the field is going to build lineups focused on those two games, that is a situation where you could start to gain some leverage by time stacking and simply building your player pool without one of those games or without those games. Uh, so there's a lot that you can do that might sacrifice two to four points in your overall projection if you're talking about a projected lineup, but the correlations uh, are, are key. That, that's the point that I want to get home on that. Let me ask you this. When it comes to like market efficiency in week one, and this is kind of an aside, by the way, we have totals on all of these games. And in some of the higher totals, we have the, the Fins and the Chargers, which I know everybody's going to be interested in. And I think that's that's down from 52 to 51 currently, by the way. Maybe it was even higher than 52, Mike. You could clarify. But then we have totals, Bengals and Browns, 47 and a half. I'll tell you, when we get to our game-by-game -game breakdown, that, that's a game I'm interested in. I was interested in it before the totals started to creep up. Uh, the Rams and Seahawks, 46 and a half. We have uh, 
let's say the, the Bucks Vikings at 45 and a half. Those are some of the higher totals. Not that 45 and a half is super high, but my question for you is in week one and week two, are you trying to exploit maybe some market inefficiencies with a lot of unknown when it comes to these totals? Yeah, I think that you definitely are. Um, you know, there, there's certainly a lot of unknown going into the week. I do think, however, that the contests are soft enough that I don't know that week one is the week to get mega contrarian in terms mm -hmm. of literally trying to fade some of those spots uh, just because the contests are much bigger. There's so much more action overall. Um, but yes, it's something that I'm definitely conscious of. And we'll talk about this throughout the other shows, but we'll, we'll provide some projected uh, ownership of individual players from around the industry. And that really can start to help shape some of those decisions and discerning which is a good high total, which might be a questionable high total. Uh, th there is a lot to go through on that, but definitely uh, not just blindly stacking the highest total of the week, because while there is a big difference in scoring between 47 and 51, Fantasy scoring doesn't always map to real life scoring in football games. Yeah, absolutely. I just think some of these totals are really interesting. Like Rams Seahawks forty six and a half. I think that's. In, I think that could go either way. I think that, that could go higher, but I think it could go a lot lower. I think the the Raiders and Broncos. I mean, talk about two teams that are completely unknown. I mean, I think there's some fantasy value in that game. It's only a forty four and a half point total. We talked about this show Marvin Mims at three k. I mean, Russell Wilson, Cortland Sutton at fifty two hundred. Like all of these guys, and certainly on the Raiders side, Devontae Adams. There's there's a lot of guys that are in the conversation that game, but because the total is so low, I, don't, I just don't think a lot of people are going to be interested in in stacking it. I'm not saying I'm stacking it. I just think that's a good example of a game that has a total that looks low, but we don't know. Like those two teams are such unknowns that that could be a 50 point game uh, quite easily, in my opinion. All right. So the third key, Mike, and, and I think this is kind of like the easier one, maybe the layup one, but people really do need to understand because we come from PGA DFS as well. And th there is no volume in PGA DFS. There's volume in NFL DFS. And that's something we can lean on target share. I mean, there's all kinds of different like targets we can look at, whether it's, you know, red zone targets, actual targets, the concentration of target shares, like how many you might have a high total in, let's say, the Chiefs game, but and that, that's a showdown slate. But my, my point there is like, well, where is it going outside of Kelsey? Well, you know, with the with the Vikings, maybe you've already decided it's going to Addison and it's going to Justin Jefferson and, 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 and that's going to be it. Or TJ Hawkinson. I think the Eagles are a good example of very concentrated target shares with obviously their two high end receivers, maybe a little Dallas Goddard. So I think concentration of target share is something I like to look at um, with my stacks. But from a volume standpoint, is there anything in particular, whether it's statistically or otherwise, that you're looking at week to week? Yeah, so I'm looking at a lot of the things that you mentioned. And I, I think that it's very critical to understand that um, volume is king. There are definitely tiers to the volume uh, throughout the season. You'll see I, I pay up for receiver and a lot. Uh, I'm not afraid to use high volume tight ends and flex, things like that. Uh, but the thing that I think is most important with the volume is still understanding context. And what I mean by that is projecting the context, right? So volume metrics are important, but you need to project and take a stance on individual game script as well. And what does mm -hmm. that volume look like in this sort of a game script? Because the game script and the volume for, say, the Philadelphia Eagles in a game where they're favored by 10.5 points versus a game where it's a two-point spread, that volume can look very, very different for a guy like A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard uh, because of having a running quarterback. So you have to factor in some of those uh, 
things into these some of these matchups, and then of course the individual matchup in terms of uh, are they shadowed by a great corner? Is this a man defense? Are they playing a zone scheme? Uh, those sort of things. I like to look at volume, the next level in terms of what does their volume really look like uh, when they're seeing predominantly man coverage, right? So it, it definitely can have an impact. And where it has an impact is not necessarily on star player. It's typically wide receiver two and three, which are those pieces that you frankly need to uh, to build really competitive lineups. I think that like we, we all know that Devontae Adams is a great wide receiver. You can go play him pretty much every week, right? If you want to, you can justify it. But when is the week to play wide receiver two? When is the time to play wide receiver three? Volume stats can tell you a ton of that if you really dig into the volume in certain situations. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, one of the You brought up the Jalen Hurts example, and it reminds me of what's happening week one. And, and I don't want to get an official take from you on, on any of these stacks or plays, but I can tell you over the last few weeks on this show. And by the way, if you haven't seen our off-season series, please go back. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, by the way. This is obviously live on YouTube, but the podcast is where you can very easily handle and internalize some of this stuff. I had James at the Degenerate 75 uh, last week, and we had Nick Brettwish at Win Daily uh, at Sticks Picks. He was on. We actually went over some of our week one plays that we like. And I'm, Mike, I'll tell you, one of the ones that I like that I'm, I'm a little afraid of based on the example that, that you kind of just gave with, with Jalen Hurts in a, in, a, in, a, in a hypothetical larger spread, Lamar Jackson. He's the most expensive quarterback. I kind of love Lamar Jackson, but then again, it's a ten, they're, they're favored by 10. It's a low total. It's in the low 40s. And I don't know that Houston, like I'm not as big on Houston as some people are in the industry. I think their six and a half win total, I think it's going to go under. I think, I think they might go under five and a half personally. That's at plus money for anybody that's interested there. That's just my opinion. But the larger point I'm trying to make is I like Lamar. I don't know that I want to pair him with like Zay Flowers, but you certainly can. He's super cheap, maybe Mark Andrews. But the point I'm making is, do you think like, is that, is that a play that you would conceivably like? We know that Justin Herbert's on this slate. There's other quarterbacks to uh, more popular games. Um, is Lamar somebody, you know, we're going to talk next week. Is he somebody that you're interested in? You know, Lamar, I definitely can be interested in, in this spot. Uh, you know, he's one of those players that's essentially going to be matchup proof any given week uh, in the sense that he can get there individually. I'm not going to be stacking him personally in week one. Um, I think there are better options. I'm going to go down a little bit at quarterback at times. Um, just looking for some better stacks and correlations. The thing that I worry about with Lamar is I, I think this team is extremely good. I think that the Ravens mm -hmm. are one of the most underrated teams in the NFL. I bet them over on their – I bet them to win the division. I think they're better than Cincinnati personally. Me too. Frankly. Uh, a lot of, I'm glad that you agree. A lot of people definitely don't agree. Right. Um, the thing here, though, is I think they're incredibly good. I think their defense is still underrated. I think J.K. Dobbins is phenomenal as well. I think that there are many of game scripts against this Houston team that can lead to short fields that if Lamar's not involved in scoring the touchdown, whether it's running or um, some of that other stuff, then yes, I, I think that there are, are massive ranges of outcomes here. So I'm I think it's fine to take tournament shots with them. I definitely will not have them as a core play, though. All right. And by the way, if you if you forgot what we do on our game by game breakdown, we go game by game. We talk about the DFS plays. We like stacks, correlations, things of that nature. But at the end, we have our top three at each position. And I'm, I'm really curious, Mike, and I'm not going to hold you to it now because it's way too early. But I'm really curious to see what your top, you know, three QBs, running back, wide receiver, defense um tight end okay one more question i have to ask mm -hmm. before we get to our fourth key really quick 
Washington's defense is going to be so popular. I believe they're 2,800, and it makes sense that they're popular. In tournaments, is that, like, let's just assume they're, like, egregiously owned. Is that something that you would play in tournaments? I would still sprinkle it in if, if it fit. Um, I, I definitely wouldn't go all in on it. Um, I'll probably, on Washington, I'll probably match the field on that. So what I mean by that is we look at ownership projections, and when there's a defense that I think is in a real obvious spot, I, I like to play them. Um, I don't want to get burnt by it, right? So if I'm playing, you know, let's see, 20% of lineups, or, you know, they're, say I think they're going to be 20% owned or 40% owned, I will try to match that number in this specific case because it's a team at home in a fantastic matchup with a great price point. Uh, other situations, I will look to fade a, a really popular cheap defense when it's more speculative. I don't think mm -hmm. this one's super speculative. So I, I think there are two options here. You either go way above the field and you just simply lock button it, and, and that is your defense in all your lineups. I personally, I think they're a great play, so I'm going to go whatever my projections tell me that they're going to be owned. I'm going to match that so I'm not getting hurt by it. I'm going to be where the field is on it. And then I'm going to look to make some more contrarian plays with the rest of some of my lineups uh, where I can still capture some upside if we're wrong. And if we're way wrong, I'm not getting sunk by the field uh, because I'm right at the field's average. Um, so that's where I'm going to be on it personally. But I, I don't fault anyone for going above and beyond clicking the lock button uh, and moving on because th there is an extremely likely outcome that they are one of the top defenses. Absolutely. All right. We're going to get to our fourth key. But before we do that, let's hear one more break, one more message from our partners. We are back. It's fantasy football today. DFS. We're just six days away from kickoff. And in six days, we're going to have a show breaking down the showdown slate, but also our game by game breakdown of the entire week one main slate fourth key. I like this one a lot, Mike. Don't be afraid of showdown slates and afternoon-only slates. And frankly, morning slates, too, in my opinion there, too. So I think that's really interesting uh, for a variety of reasons, which you're going to get into. But I'll tell you, I play afternoon slates pretty much every week. And th there's several reasons to do that. I'm not as big on showdown as, as Mike is, but um, I'm sure he's going to tell us why he's big on showdown. I know you're super successful in showdown. You have a track record there. I don't. I don't have a very good track record in Showdown. But talk to us about alternative slates. Yeah, I'll hit the afternoon one first because I think it definitely applies more and it's more comfortable for people to go get into. Uh, the reason why you want to play afternoon slates is you're coming here watching this show and this show, you know, we will do our best to talk about some of the afternoon only games and you can mm -hmm. definitely listen hard to, to figure that out. But every piece of content in the industry is going to be focused on that main slate. And when you're focusing on that main slate, the player pool is 3x the size as a, a late slate player pool. So what's happening there is all the content is shifting and focusing on that main slate. Even the people that play the afternoon slate, they're either doing it blindly without a lot of help, or they're jamming in plays that they heard that were mentioned throughout some of that full slate content. So there's a lot of things in play there. You get a lot of, especially early in the season, you get a lot more casual money, right? So we're watching NFL week one. You see a DraftKings commercial on TV during the first noon set of games. There are people that open the app, download the app, come and play those afternoon slates. There are lots of opportunities in there where you're building very different lineups. You're also getting exposure to different players uh, so if you're looking at what you're doing as a portfolio and you have your full slate, you have your afternoon slate, it gives you a little diversity uh, 
just naturally by having to build a little bit of a different lineup set. So I think there's a lot of benefits uh, to doing that. It can also help you really get used to making late swaps. It can help you do a lot of those things. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, let's, let's talk about the morning slate for week one, for example, let's just say you think there's a game that's like, you just, you want to stack a game and it, it's kind of off the radar a little bit. And you're just afraid to stack it just up against some of those four o'clock games that ha have the high totals. It's a perfect time to play a contrarian, you know, one o'clock game stack and not have to worry about because you're probably going to be contrarian anyway. Because you, because again, I set this up as you have a hunch about certain players or, or certain game that you think the total is going to shoot up. You can just box out some of those afternoon games and know that you're still probably going to be, you know, relatively contrarian. You still have a tremendous upside with that one o'clock slate. And again, it's really important what Mike said on, on the front end. All of the content is really geared, or at least most of the content is really geared towards the main slate as a whole. So you can kind of really go in and, and, and kind of uh, play around with, with some stacks that, that really most people aren't going to have or, or that are just going to be that much more valuable because you're not playing uh, the entire main slate. Um, Mike, let's go over to the fifth key. I think this is really important, and we talk about it every single year, pretty much every single week. Uh, it's late swap. And for those of you that don't understand what late swap is, like when you quote lock and I'm doing air quotes here when you quote lock your lineup at 1259 because I know I'm locking lineups up until that point um that's eastern standard time of course before the one o'clock kickoffs now if your player doesn't go at one o'clock if he goes at 415 or 425 or whatever that afternoon slate starts for you you can start making arrangements and and changes and 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 going a different route predicated on maybe what happened during those one o'clock games so Mike talk to us a little bit about how you use late swap yeah, it's exactly that. So we can look, there's many things though. Uh, it's going to be a long, long discussion on late swap. There's so yeah. many uh, ways to use it. But yeah, the most obvious is you can make decisions based on injury news, based on weather news, right? The other thing that comes into play here though, you also need to make sure that you're putting, even if they all start at the same time, put your most expensive player and your latest start time player in the flex spot. Always, always, always. Even if you're playing certain spots and you want to have other flexibility there, put the most expensive player at the latest start time in the flex spot so you're able to have maximum flexibility should anything arise. That is going to be the most important thing that you're going to do no matter what. Uh, but I think the most interesting and more advanced use of late swap is going to be if you dive into playing either double ups, 50-50s, and smaller fields. Like There are some that are only 10 players long. There are some that are you know, 20, 50, you can do it with a thousand ones. You just have to download the CSV files to see some of the ownership, but head to head matchups. I still play a lot of head to head matchups. This is the most underutilized part of late swap. If you are in a head to head contest, you can see the other person's roster that is locked. You can see they have a wide receiver or a flex player that is unlocked. You can calculate the salary that has been used so far and go look at the player pool. And with, probably an 85 plus percent likelihood know who that remaining player is. Why that's interesting is because you can make decisions to try to win that head to head based on how the matchup is going. In some scenarios, I might know that I have a star wide receiver there and they might have a flex player. That's a very obvious wide receiver two or three. If I'm winning at that point, even though I have a star player that is a better player, I will make the late swap forego the two to $3,000 in salary to match what they have to ensure mm -hmm. that I'm winning that head to head. You're not, you're fading and you're not fading injury. You're not doing anything at that point. So if you're playing head to heads, you can do that, but it's still 
something you can apply to double ups. You can see that, you know, 30% of this field likely has this player here at this point. You can look through lineups and see a lot of them have a wide receiver left that's $7,700. Okay, that's probably Keenan Allen. He's probably that, that's probably Keenan Allen, right? So you can make that decision whether do you have Justin Herbert? Are you not playing Justin Herbert? Is there someone else out there that there's a game script that gives you the upside? Like if you know that you have Keenan Allen and they have Keenan Allen and you're losing, you don't play Keenan Allen. There's zero, zero upside in playing Keenan Allen at that point. So you have to make a swap whether and that swap's likely going to be a lower projected, but that's where some of the correlation and understanding where you're at, you can save yourself and make yourself a lot of money. And when I say save yourself, where this becomes beneficial is on the slates where you're frankly not crushing, right? It, it comes in and you can really recoup some of your, your money by making some of these decisions. So that's let me use slate swap a lot. Yeah, let me stop you right there because I think we need to, and I want to get into a little bit more of, of how you use late swap as well, but I feel like I need to boldface this part because if you are doing head-to-head -head matchups, and this does apply to double-ups to a degree as well, just like Mike explained, but I think head-to-head -head matchups are in play for everybody, by the way, in terms of maintaining your bankroll. I, I do think double-ups in, in somewhat larger fields, I think that's the route I'd normally go, but I think head-to-heads are in play too. And if you're in a head-to-head -head and you know based on like they've got all their players gone except the quarterback and the wide receiver, and it's, it's this week one slate, and you know, based on just how much money they have left, that they have Keenan Allen and Justin Herbert, and that's what you have. And you're down six points. Like, literally, if you don't change something, you just, you just decided to lose, and it's not even 425 yet. Like, you literally made a conscious decision at that point, I want to lose this contest. You have to make the switch because, again, Mike said it's, it's probably an 85%, maybe a 90% rate, um, certainly on head-to-heads. When you see the amount of money left, you, see, you know what games are – available you know where the chalk is usually going it's just it makes so much sense to be like all right i gotta check these head-to-head -head lineups that i have because i need to know where i'm at and where i need to go i just think it's it's just like such an obvious thing that frankly a lot of people because they're busy or they just like they they, they care about their money they want to win but they don't care enough to like go in and check uh, like like late in the afternoon before those games start, just people don't do that sometimes. And it's just so important to maintaining your bank bankroll that you do those little things. Uh, Mike, more on late swap though. Yeah, and uh, you know, don't be afraid to use the same method in a tournament. I think it's the most difficult thing because as humans, we, we don't like some of those situations that we put ourselves in. But say you're playing in a single entry contest, right? And you've played every single player except for one. You've already got 200 points up. It's very clear you're going to have a top 1% cash, most likely, right? Start to look down the leaderboard and see what exists there and start to understand who has who. And while it's incredibly frightening to have a lineup that's either leading the tournament or has a shot to win, the thing applies the same way, right? So you'll have a situation this season. I know Sia will have it. I will have it for sure where I'm playing a tournament and I'm sitting in the top 10 with one player left. And there's another lineup that's sitting in the top 10 with one player left or two players left that might be a quarter point above me or a half point behind me, whatever it may be. Start to figure out who you think they have and don't be afraid to make those decisions if it fits your goals, which goes back to the very first key. You need to clearly define your goals because if I'm sitting top 10 is my goal in that moment, to go win the contest or is my goal, am I going to be super happy with a 10th place finish where I'm five to 10 Xing my money? You need to make that decision because you can use late swap 
to, okay, I'm clearly going to cash no matter what. If I take a zero, I'm going to cash. I've already not lost money on this tournament no matter what. Do I want to go win it? Do I want a middling result? It really depends on your goals, depends on your bankroll, depends on a lot of things. But you can start to use late swap in those situations uh, that are a little less obvious. There's certainly a lot uh, of things going on because there's definitely people down the board that have a full game stack. Uh, but there are ways you can use late swap in those situations as well. Yeah, one thing you said in the first key as well, uh, and I don't know if this implicates late swap or not, or at least I don't know if you were implicating late swap or not, is you said there are certain like maybe 20 maxes or three maxes where you're submitting the same lineup. Is part of the reason for that so that you can actually maintain the the 10th place lineup that's likely to finish 10th, but then you can have just, just change the the other one that's literally a mirror image? That, that's exactly right. There are two reasons why you would do it. Uh, number one would be you've committed, hey, I'm only building five lineups um, and, and that's it. And that's great. I wanted to play 20 max. I'll go in and edit some of those via late swap to either capture some more upside, make a change, whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, a lot of the reason for that is also give yourself more time. If you know that you're leaving flexibility in some of those late games, you have a pretty good idea of what the ownership is going to look like for the late games if you pay attention to what the contest does overall. So again, this is not something you're going to do on a mobile phone very easily, but if you, if you are someone that's sitting down with a laptop or has a computer to do it, once the contest goes live that you're playing in, you can download a CSV file, see every single entry in that contest and who they've got shows where it's locked, right? You can calculate salaries remaining. You can do all sorts of things. But when we get that information and see, okay, um, Stefan Diggs was 22% owned and Devontae Adams was 17% owned, you can start to figure out how likely it is certain players are going to be at certain thresholds. So that makes a big difference. Um, but the contest selection part of it is still, you want to maximize the amount of entries with the field. So like, not all of us or many of us won't be able to play 150 max, right? That, it's, it's a lot of effort. It's a lot of money. Um, but when you get to three max, five max, 20 max, those become more realistic, especially when you're maxing out the lower price points. Absolutely. And by the way, you can go reserve your lineups right now on DraftKings or if you play on FanDuel as well. Um, we had a question from Mr. Grapefruit. This is a redraft question. I figured I'd, I'd give it a shot. What defense do y'all target if Philly or San Fran is unavailable? I do try to get San Fran. Uh, Philly's a good option, too. I, I would go with the Buffalo Bills. How, how do you feel? Uh, this is a general question, Mike, about the Buffalo Bills defense this year. I think it's good. I think that Von Miller being out for the first four games, obviously not ideal, but you'd much rather have him, you know, through the heart of the season. So I think that that's good. I'll tell you that, you know, I don't play season long fantasy football much. I've gotten into some best ball drafts, things like that, but not using defense. Uh, teams that you like, right? Bet on teams that you think are good. Don't focus too much on elite defenses. Focus on teams that are going to win football games and then look at some of the style of play in the conferences. So teams that would stand out to me in that would be the Baltimore Ravens. I love them. I think that they're very good. They play in a division that typically has games that run the clock a little more. They're typically lower scoring games. They're more physical games. Those are the ones that I start to look for. Look for games, teams that you think are going to win and, and kind of go from there. I think that uh, there's a little too much emphasis placed on – trying to target an elite defense when defensive scoring itself uh, can certainly be a little random. 
Yeah, and I'll say this about the Bills' defense. Their secondary was really banged up last year. And so, I'm, in theory, they're going to be a lot healthier uh, this year. So I think that defense could step up. And by the way, I kind of like the Bills against the Jets in week one. I believe that's down to minus – or it's up to minus two. Uh, I think the Bills cover that line personally. Um, by the way, uh, Mike just mentioned projections. So listen, when we do our game-by-game game breakdown every single week, which is going to be Friday at 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, except for this coming week because we want to kick off during the Thursday night Chiefs-Lions game – we're going to go through game-by-game game breakdowns of our favorite DFS plays, but we're also going to refer to ownership. We're also going to have our top three at each position. We're also going to have our cheat sheet. So there's just so much packed into that like 50 minutes to an hour that we're going to do every single uh, Friday at 11 o'clock for each main slate. And of course, we'll talk about alternative slates as we're going, but um, hope you can all join us. Hopefully you're all subscribed to the FFT DFS podcast. You're going to want to make sure you do that. You're going to want to make sure you join us live as well and tell a friend about our show too because uh we're only in our third year oh and by the way we are going to have a um DraftKings frank stample our old producer on this show he's going to be putting out an fft dfs contest just like last year so stay tuned for that we'll tell you all about it i'll be tweeting stuff out on that uh speaking of producers we have nada he's our he's our new producer at fft dfs he's on the ones and twos right now handling all the questions putting them up on the board and doing all the sophisticated things in the background but mike I think it's time to call it a day here. Is it, do, you, do you think there's something that, that you just – I didn't allow you to say that you think is really important to, to stress before we get out of here? No, just pay attention to uh, volume. As you mentioned, I think the keys were great. Volume is key. Don't be afraid to use late swap and build correlated lineups more than focusing on projections. Absolutely love that. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Fantasy Football Today DFS. That's Mike McClure. My name is Sia Najan. We're going to see you next Thursday, but then every single Friday, we're going to be with you doing our game-by-game breakdown at 11. But next week, we we can't leave you hanging with Kansas City and Detroit. So we're actually going to touch on that game from a showdown standpoint. We're going to do our game-by-game breakdown. That's the next time we're going to see you. Hopefully, you'll see us at that time as well. This is Fantasy Football Today DFS, and we'll see you next week.